Pastor Steve and uh, Pastor Tony are both on uh, well-deserved vacation. And so our guest speaker here today is Sarah Patrick. Give Sarah a hand. I don't know if you, if anybody knows Sarah or remembers Sarah, but she, um, all the Patricks are a part of our New Break Pacific Beach family. Um, Sarah is the family ministry pastor at our Tierra Santa campus. Um, she's my kind of partner in small time crime and, uh, we share an office office together. Uh, she just, she comes to us with a, a a wealth of experience. Um, she is a, uh, truly a, uh, godly woman. And, uh, I think you guys will enjoy, um, her speaking today. So give a hand for Sarah Patrick, please. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a, a privilege to be here today. I do feel a little bit like I'm coming home. I began my time with New Break here at this campus uh, before they uh, called and I thought were asking me if I would consult with them about uh, a children's position in Tierra Santa, and it was actually to offer me a job in Tierra Santa. So that was a pleasant surprise. And so it's been um, a fun time to be there and work with the New Break team, and I'm just thrilled to be back. So thanks for having me. Uh, there's something special about being at the beach and how casual and welcoming it is. I love San Diego for its beaches, but I think my favorite beach in the entire world is Pismo Beach. Has anyone ever been to Pismo Beach? Oh, I see more hands this service. Um, I have been going to Pismo Beach since I was very small, and I have uh, my parents would take me there. It's known for their dunes, right? You can drive your um, on the beach, which I always thought was really weird. Until I moved here, which was funny, when we first moved here and we took our kids to the beach, I realized I was looking both ways to cross traffic to get to the ocean. <laughs> and I was like, wait, that's because in Pismo, you have to look both ways before you get to the ocean. <laughs> you don't want to get hit by a car. Super unique. But we have funny stories of getting stuck in the sand. Maybe not so funny. My dad's here today. He's been stuck in the sand before <laughs> um, when you're driving and lots of adventures there. But one of the things uh, that I love most is that it just feels like such a beautiful place of retreat, and I can relax and enjoy the sleepy little community and the time that we have there. I brought a picture of us in Pismo Beach the last time uh, we were there. This is my family, uh, my daughter Lucy, you might recognize her uh, from hanging out here in uh, Pacific Beach, my son Keith, my husband Tommy, and my daughter Gracie is on the far right We have such a fun time traveling as a family together. I really think this picture here epitomizes our joy of Pismo Beach. (laughs) They've been taking a a picture jumping in the dunes since they were um, as high as my knee, and I was very blessed that they would um, continue to humor their mother and take another one as young adults, so very fun. Last time we were there, uh, I found myself, we have a campground that we like to go to. So we don't just go to Pismo Beach and stay in hotels. We actually are tent campers. (laughs) So it's quite the adventure. We have a good time. And I am a morning person. So lots of times I will be up in the morning having my cup of coffee and getting a little bit of quiet time before everybody wakes up. And when we were there the last time, it was a much needed vacation. I was excited. We were coming off of a very busy season at work. And uh, it was a successful time. We had had a huge event going on that we were so thrilled, our team that was working on it, that it was so successful. And we were, uh, had worked for months and months to plan this. But as I sat there in that campground, I was feeling something different than, than joy. I was actually feeling lost, broken, and totally overwhelmed. And that's not where I wanted to be on vacation. I had anticipated this fun time, and yet that's not what I was feeling. 
So let me back up a little bit. In that week at work ahead of camp, or going camping, we had um, been pursuing this activity and this event, and in the middle of the week, my uh, boss says, hey, can I meet with you after work? I said, absolutely, this has been such a good week. I can't wait to hear what we're doing next. And as I sat there, he says, hey, guess what? A position has opened up that you're qualified for, and it's the next step in the leadership pathway that you're on. I thought, this is great. But don't bother applying. We're looking for somebody younger, more educated, and male. Right? Yeah, thank you. Right? What? Like, uh, I was speechless and, quite frankly, totally heartbroken because I loved working there. I loved my team. I loved where I was. I loved the leadership. And I just couldn't understand this conversation we were having. That didn't make any sense to me. Um, I don't, didn't consider myself old. I still don't consider myself too old for anything. <laughs> I don't know when you feel that way, maybe someday. But right now, I don't, so I didn't back then. I have a bachelor's degree, was working on a master's at the time, so I felt like my education level was right on par with where it could be for this position. And I worked uh, in the hospitality industry in a time where I was only allowed to wear skirt suits and pantyhose. And I remember the day they told us we could wear pants. So I really felt like this women-male equality thing, we'd come so far. How is it possible that I'm sitting here doing this again? That's where I was, at camp, on vacation, processing through my disappointment and my shock of this conversation. I was super afraid, honestly, because I didn't know what I was going to do next. I didn't know what my reactions would be. I wasn't sure, it was I leading well? And all of a sudden, I was afraid that I wasn't doing, hadn't been doing my job so well in spite of the success. All these doubts started creeping in. We can probably all understand or, or at least remember what it's like to feel that overwhelmed, to have the feeling of being overwhelmed. All of us experience circumstances in life where things aren't going our way, um, everything just feels like it's out of control. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I was thinking about this word overwhelmed, and lots of, you hear it all the time. People use it to describe lots of things. And as I was studying, part of my studies in seminary, I'm an emphasis is in youth, family, and culture. And so I get to work with children and students and emerging adults uh, and as part of my research and the things that I'm studying, which I love. But recent studies show that when you ask an emerging adult, that's anyone between 18 and 29 years old, to describe their current circumstances, the majority of the time they respond, overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. Whether they're in college, they're starting a new career, they're in the military, it doesn't matter. That's their normal response. And I thought, how sad. We need to get to a space where we're not constantly overwhelmed. What does overwhelmed even mean? I looked at the definition of it. Let me read it to you. My glasses will tell you my age. <laughs> uh, to overcome completely in mind or feeling. To cover or bury beneath a mass of something as floodwaters, debris, an avalanche. Submerge. I think those visuals, visuals are so powerful because overwhelming really truly means I am just submerged, in my, in my opinion, in yuck. <laughs> I don't know how to navigate the stuff around me. I'm just feeling like I'm being crushed, like an avalanche. So we can ask ourselves, how do I overcome this? What do we need to remember when our circumstances leave us feeling overwhelmed? 
it seems to me that based on my research that we need to actually be talking about this more regularly because so many people around us are overwhelmed. How can we be a part of the solution versus being part of the problem and perpetuating that feeling? We're in a series called Pray, and prayer in a nutshell is conversations with God. We take our good, our bad, our ugly, our awesome to, to the Lord, and we have a conversation with him, and we grow that relationship. And as part of this series, we're looking at the stories in the life of David. Now, Pastor Steve kicked off the, la- uh, the series last week talking about a season of life when David was experiencing fear. And with fear, we have natural reactions to it of flight, fright, or freeze. So he unpacked all that. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it or weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back because he really does a beautiful job of describing what those look like. For today, we're going to focus on flight. David is in a season where he's on the run from King Saul. Things are very hard in his life, and he's fleeing and escaping from his current circumstances. And that's where we're going to spend some time today. We are also partnering this uh, information and this history lesson on David with some psalms because psalms are prayers. And David is known for having written many psalms and prayers that we get to read and continue to read today to help us learn more about where he was at in his life and to help us grow as well. And so that's where uh, we're going to be. We're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to be in chapter 22. However, before we get to our primary scripture, I feel like we really need to unpack chapter 21 a little bit, because to understand the depth of David's overwhelming circumstances, I think we need to kind of try to get into his head a little bit and see where he was in his life. I already said that he's on the run from Saul, and I brought a map, which I had hoped you'd be able to see. In the future, I'll know to blow it up and zoom in a little further. (laughs) He's going to escape to multiple places. So you could look this up uh, online later, but it's uh, Israel in the days of King Saul, and you can actually see the different places where he starts and where he goes on his journey of running. And his first stop as he's escaping uh, from King Saul is a place called Nob. Now, Nob was the home of some priests, and the Bible says that when David arrived, they were trembling with fear. They were afraid. The political situation at the time was very volatile. You see, King Saul is in an unusual mental state. He's literally crazy. The Spirit of the Lord has left him, and you just don't know what you're going to get when you see him. He does many horrific things. And so when David shows up, who has been under the employment of Saul, uh, married to Saul's daughter, and his best friend is Saul's dad, you kind of wonder what he's doing there. So they have this relationship. So that can give you some insight into why um, this might be an overwhelming circumstance for David as well, right? He's running from family, which could be really hard. So he's in Nob, and he says to them, do you have any food, and do you have any weapons? Because he came alone. He literally just left with what, what he was wearing and ran. And they say, well, they gave him some food. We don't have any weapons here except for one, as a matter of fact. And we are happy to give that to you. And David takes it. As it turns out, it is the sword of Goliath. If you know the story of David and Goliath, this is the sword that David uh, took from Goliath when he chucked the rock at him. Goliath fell down. He takes Goliath's sword, chops off his head, and is running around with the sword and and the head in his hand, right? This was a victorious time. It was a time where God was with him and helped him accomplish the impossible. 
So this sword, in my mind, I would think would be a reminder to David of God's got my back. He is with me. I can do this because he's done it for me before. So he does take the sword and he leaves to go to his next stop. David's next stop is a place called Gath. Okay, well, what makes this interesting (laughs) and an unusual choice in my mind is that Gath is where Goliath is from. Does that make any sense at all that he would go to enemy territory? (laughs) So then I have to ask myself, here he's holding once again the sword of Goliath in his hand, and he goes straight to enemy territory. And then I wondered, how often does God give me a sign of something that should be encouraging and take me in a direction of health, and I use it as an excuse to go the opposite direction, right into enemy territory? I'm going to go escape to Gath? That didn't make any sense to me. It still doesn't. But then when I pause and think, sometimes I find myself in a place that isn't good for me, and I ask myself, what am I doing here? Maybe I've escaped. Things are rough around me, and I'm sitting on the couch for hours watching Netflix or Hallmark movies. (laughs) Or maybe I find myself constantly turning to a glass of wine or Advil or whatever, fill in the blank. These things that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but if we're constantly escaping to them, they can become a hindrance to our health and our safety and our well-being. We find we've wasted time, energy, resources in an area that we wasn't where we were supposed to go in the first place. So I think I can relate a little bit to what David's going through from that circumstance. And the other part, too, with Goliath, he was an external enemy. David knew for sure that he was supposed to fight him, Have you ever been betrayed from inside? Had someone in your family or a close friend hurt you? And you're thinking, what is going on? I don't know what to do here. I think that feeds into his overwhelming feelings. And that's why he's not thinking clearly. I think this trip to Gath was an, an indication of he just was not thinking clearly. And when we're not thinking clearly, we make foolish choices sometimes. At least I do. So he's in Gath. And they go, we know you. (laughs) Of course they do. He killed Goliath. But he wasn't received very well. And I think he learned really quickly that this was a bad choice because the Bible says that he started acting insane. He started clawing at the doors and drooling out of his beard. And he was behaving like a madman to the point where they brought him before the king. And the king says, are you just bringing me another crazy person? Get this guy out of here. I don't know who he was back then, but he's no one I need to deal with now. And David has an opportunity to flee for his life again. So now he escapes Gath, and that's where we're going to pick up our story today. So if you have your Bibles with you or your phones and you would like to read along, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 22, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. And this is going to be where we pick up David on his third stop. So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah and Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. 
So David left and went to the forest of Hareth. So one of the first things I note from this is that we can learn that sometimes flight can get us to a place of safety. He was escaping, which was a good thing because he was in a place he shouldn't have been, but it can get us to a place of safety. It says he escaped to the cave of Adullam. I was recently blessed with an incredible trip to Israel, and so I have a picture of, of that. I didn't actually take this picture. <laughs> I found it online, but I got to see this area while I was there and really embrace the landscape, and I thought it would be really important for us to understand why was the cave of Adullam a place of, of refuge and retreat and safety for David? How did he know he could go there when he'd already made two stops that weren't? First of all, the word Adullam means refuge. Isn't that interesting? It means refuge. So the name alone would trigger something in David that would tell him this is a place of safety. But while I was there, our tour guide explained to us that this area was where David grew up. He knew it like the back of his hand. This was his neighborhood. Yet King Saul wasn't from here. He grew up in another part of Israel. So he wouldn't know this part as well in order to find David. So David could rest assured that he would be safe for a good chunk of time. It would take Saul quite a while to find him, and he could be safe in these caves. We, we know that to be true because there's another occasion later on, and I, and I hope that you'll go back and read it, where King Saul's actually using one of these caves as a restroom, and David's in there, and he doesn't know it. But David doesn't take his life. He spares it, right? So you should read it. The Bible's a really good story. <laughs> it's got good stuff in there. So we know it's a place of safety and a place of refuge for him, and he needs to take a retreat. So where might you need to take a retreat in your present life circumstances? Is there something in your current life circumstances that you need a break from? Maybe to take a time out? When my kids were little, I would tell them, Mama needs a time out right now. <laughs> you probably do too, but I especially need one. You know, when you think of relationships that you're in and they can become intense, or you're having an argument with someone, and it's best you get to that space where you're like, I, we need to pause. We need to retreat. We need to go on a retreat. Let's take a time out, go for a walk, and come back and revisit that later. Or maybe there's a situation at work, like mine was, where you need to get away for the weekend and regroup. Go home. Hopefully your homes are a place of retreat and refuge that are safe for you, that you know you can go to and, um, and relax and refresh so you can get back to solving the problems at work on Monday. Maybe you're in a season of grief or loss. I've recently come out of one of those. I needed to take a break and have a rest from my social commitments. I needed just some time alone to navigate those, those lost feelings that I had over losing a friend. And that was good, to take that time so you can grieve well and then get back to doing what you need to do. Sometimes life is just hectic, and what we really need is to step away in solitude and silence with God. I love that. Do you hear that silence? We don't enjoy that very often. It can actually sometimes make us feel uncomfortable. One of my favorite books is a book called Invitation to Silence and Solitude by Ruth Haley Barton. If you're looking for someone who can coach you through how to navigate times of silence and solitude, she's your girl. <laughs> Invitation to Silence and Solitude. In that book, she quotes Dallas Willard, who says this, Solitude and silence are the most radical of the spiritual disciplines because they most directly attack the sources of human misery and wrongdoing. I think sometimes we don't want to get silent and alone with God because we're sometimes afraid, talk about fear, 
of attacking those areas of misery that need to be changed in our lives. And that's where we can get and grow our, our relationship with God. I love to retreat in my living room. I like to go to the mountains. I like to go to the beach. I can even go to Disneyland as a place of retreat when I'm trying to get away from work because I don't think about work when I'm there with my family. And I get to stand in line and have conversations with my kids that are sweet that maybe I haven't done in a long time. What are places of retreat for you? I come here as a place of retreat. Church is a place of retreat for me. I come here because worship is a place of retreat. Worshiping God through music, worshiping God through giving, worshiping God in learning and in community, that fills my bucket. I come here because of that. So as soon as we've identified where we can retreat, we need to be strategic when we retreat. When we retreat. Strategy involves planning and intentionality. When we've been strategic and then we find ourselves in an overwhelming circumstance, we can go back to the strategy plan to help us get back on track again. Where and when we retreat are mission critical. Do you have a daily retreat? We each need a daily retreat. Maybe it's a time where we get up in the morning and we begin our day just in silence or with God. That's a common, typical practice for someone who follows Jesus. That's a, it's a time where we can start our day. But maybe, that's, maybe you're not a morning person like I am. And maybe you could take a time during a break at work or before you go to bed at night, just intentionally having a retreat in your day. Do you have a weekly retreat? I'm kind of preaching to the choir. You're all here right now. This is a weekly retreat. Church is that. It's at both a time and a place of refuge where we can come and grow together. I'm so blessed to have grown up in a family where my parents took me to church every weekend. It was a practice that became a habit, a good habit to have. And there are weeks that I don't feel like getting out of bed and making it there. And yet when I lean into that and do it, I never regret it. Sometimes I attribute it like the gym, right? The two hardest places to get to are church and the gym, and they're the two that are probably the most important for us, (laughs) for our spiritual health and our physical health. So when we dig deep and we get there, we're glad that we did. We live in a, in a city where 96% of, the, of the, the population is unchurched. We live in a mission field. We need to get here for a place of retreat to start our weeks filled up and ready for the conversations and the activities that are ahead of us. And the best way to do that is to be refreshed here on the weekend. So I hope that you do make this a practice, that you're here as many weekends as you possibly can be. And then my midweek fill-up is in my life group. You saw that life groups are getting ready to kick off. I have had the privilege of most of my life spending my Wednesday nights with students, preteens, and children in their life groups as a leader, and then also being part of a life group uh, with women or other couples. Those things fill my bucket again. I can't get all the way from Monday to Friday on what I get on Sunday morning. I need something midweek because I start to get depleted, and I don't want to end the week on an empty tank. I want to be fresh for people on Friday as I am for them on Monday. And so that's what life groups are for. If you're not in a life group surrounded by people who will pray with you and tell you what you need to hear versus what you want to hear and encourage you when you're overwhelmed, it's time. It's time to take that step of faith and join one. What about an annual retreat? I talked about our trips to Pismo Beach. We like to get completely unplugged when we're on vacation, and it started with those trips. 
we have a rule that when we're camping, you stick your phone in the glove box and you detox from your phones. Now, I, um, we haven't had phones in my whole life. Like, I'm not part of the generation that knows what it's like to, um, doesn't know what it's like to live without a phone. We, we didn't always have them. So my kids are part of the generation that have always had them. So when we stick those in the glove box, we are kind of twitching for a few days. <laughs> and we're, you know, did you feel that vibration? Oh, There's green again. Sorry about that. Thank you for your patience. Uh, but they, um, they've never regretted that we've done that. Initially, they're kind of mad at us that we practice that. And then by day three or four, they forget that they don't have them anymore. And that's as young adults and teenagers that they would do that. It's a good practice to get unplugged. Uh, you waste your annual retreat if you spend the whole time on technology and plugged in at work. One of the things I remind myself is I am just not that important at work that I can't be unplugged for a couple days. I'm robbing someone else of figuring out how to solve that problem if you need me to do it for you. <laughs> so I'm just, I personally am just not that important. So I hope that you will take advantage of that and actually be on retreat, on vacation. There's other opportunities too. There's men's retreats, women's retreats, summer camp coming up for students. Those are great ways to intentionally get away with God and with other people to get reconnected and refreshed. My husband and I, we take every year, we take turns planning our anniversary trip because we know that our kids are better off if we are in a good space. If marriages are healthy, then families are healthier, then communities are healthier. So we are blessing our kids and ourselves with that intentional retreat. I hope that you do those things too. I hope that you get away and just spend some time with God. We need to surround ourselves with people in those settings who can provide mutual encouragement for us. We notice from David's passage that he wasn't alone. Uh, first his family showed up, and then a group of men showed up, the discontent and disillusioned <laughs> and debt, those in debt, which sounds really funny at first, because I think, oh, wow, thanks for sending me all the high-quality people, right? <laughs> but at the same time, I, I believe that they were not um, how we would initially describe them to be that way. Uh, these, they were not happy with the current climate and situation, and they were going to a person that they recognized was a man after God's own heart, and they needed to follow him. I think God took him, them to him on purpose, and we know they became his mighty men, and they did incredible feats um, of bravery and courage. And so he was surrounded by people who would encourage him when I was discouraged, my family and my friends came along and supported me. They helped me in the circumstances. They couldn't resolve my issues for me, but just knowing they were there really, really helped me. Do you have those people in your life, people that you can count on to be there for you? I hope you do. The other thing we need to remember is to refuse to allow overwhelming circumstances to incapacitate us. You'll notice that when, in that passage that when David was in the cave and his family came to him, he didn't just shut down. He actually helped them. You see, if King Saul found his family first, they would probably be put to death because that's how they did it back then. And so they were on the run themselves. He takes them to Moab, which is an interesting choice because the Moabites were often at war with Israel. 
But in this particular case, David felt like he could take his family there as a safe place. Maybe it's the family relationships. David's great-great-grandmother was a Moabite named Ruth. There's a whole book of the Bible written after her and her story, which is pretty sweet. You should look at that too. That's probably why he felt comfortable doing that. So he gets them to a place of safety, and then he goes back to the cave to continue the work, to work with these mighty men to get the job done. So he didn't just stop life. We don't want to be those people that do that. Who's counting on you to show up and relying on you even when you want to give up? My family, my friends, my sisters, my parents, my husband, my coworkers. My coworkers were counting on me to come back from vacation because they didn't know anything about what I was going through, right? That would have been really weird if I had just given up and quit. We still had a job to do. We had things we needed to get done beyond that event in spite of the chaos going on around me. Life keeps going on. But how do we do this? How do we keep moving forward when the chaos is around us? Well, we continually keep our heart open to God. I think that's what we can learn from David. David came to God and asked for his help. He turned to him in that place of refuge and retreat, and he was made whole again. He was able to be strengthened and equipped for the journey ahead. We know he wrote at least two psalms during this time period. Uh, Psalm 142 and Psalm 57 both say that they were written while David was in the cave of Adullam. I'm going to break down both of those for you a little bit in the remaining time that we have because I think we can learn so much about who David is in those psalms. And this first one, Psalm 142, 1 through 7, if you want to follow along with me, I believe was written before anyone showed up. I think he was in a time of solitude and silence when he wrote this. And so I want you to kind of listen to this and read along with me with that in mind. David writes, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to me right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. I love this. David took his complaint straight to God. You know, God is not sitting in heaven thinking, wow, I'm so surprised you're in this place right now. How did you get there? We are assured that God knows exactly where we are in every season that we're in. And David, in this time in the cave, knew he needed to take his complaints to God. He had time and practice with God on his own. When he was a young shepherd boy, he'd be out keeping, taking care of his sheep and praying to God and writing psalms of praise to God. When David got quiet and alone, that's when he remembered who his God is. It wasn't the sword that reminded him. It was his time alone with God that reminded him. I think it's interesting, too, that he says, I have no refuge, but he's in, he's in a cave of refuge. Isn't that fascinating? God took him to a cave of refuge to remind him that he is his refuge. And this final line, then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. 
that screams of hope and trust and faith in what God will do in the midst of his chaotic and overwhelming circumstances. He trusts that God will show up and the righteous will gather around him. That's how I know those discontent and in-debt men that showed up were his righteous mighty men because David knew that those people would show up and be there with him and for him and it's because of the goodness of God. This should totally encourage us. David, a man after God's own heart, knows what it means to be overwhelmed. He knows what it means to feel alone and he models what we need to do. We need to go to a place of retreat. When you're overwhelmed, we need to often pause and ask, when was the last time I had a retreat? When was the last time I shared my feelings with God? When was the last time I claimed that I know that God will never abandon me and accept the comfort that God has to give me? The things I often tell myself when I'm overwhelmed, God is good, I am loved, God is with me, and God is for me. That's it. I say that over and over and over again. I am loved, God is with me, and God is for me. That reminds me of who God is so that in those overwhelming circumstances, I can surrender those to God. Sitting in that campground, God brought me to Psalm 23, which is another Psalm of David. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) I love it. It's a Psalm of David. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Beside grass and a soul restored. I'm sorry, it sounds weird. There we go. In those two weeks of vacation, God showed me that I needed some serious soul restoration. I was both dehydrated and malnourished spiritually, and I needed God. I spent those two full weeks of vacation soaking in that psalm and just spending time with God. Now, I didn't just skip my vacation, right? My kids were there. My husband was there. We had a great time. But in that, those morning moments and in the evening, I was constantly reminded of the goodness of God, and I would go back to that psalm and allow God to work in me and through me so that I could get back to work at the end of that vacation and lead that team in our next set of challenges. In my state of being overwhelmed, it was a path which led me on a closer journey to God. So I wouldn't undo that because I needed that to get closer with God. I read uh, in this week in Oswald Chambers that adversity is what leads you to a place of strength in the Lord. If we don't go through the pain, we cannot grow in our walk with God because it allows us to rely on him. That was an amazing word for me to remember. I want you to know that you are so loved by God. God is with you and God is for you. And Jesus understands what it means to be overwhelmed. Jesus went to the cross for each of us. And on that journey to the cross, he spent some time in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that garden, this is one of the things that he says. My soul is overwhelmed to the, with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus wanted God to take the cup from him, to not have him walk this path. He had moments of being so overwhelmed, he just didn't want to do it. And yet, he immediately says, but not my will, yours be done. He trusted that God would get the glory, and his purposes were far greater than anything he was going through in those moments. That same God loves you and loves me. We can trust him to be with us and for us in all of our overwhelming moments. Psalm 57 is what we're going to close with today. 
and I want to give you a chance to turn there if you'd like to read it with me. I believe this psalm was written after people showed up in David's life. I think this was in response to people around him and having some very needed refreshing and retreat time with God. It goes like this. I'm just going to read a couple verses. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. So the disaster wasn't taken away right away, but he's trusting God to be with him and be his refuge in this until it passes. And then he closes this psalm like this. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Those are words of someone who's been refreshed and blessed by God. He's still in the cave, and we know that Gad comes and says, hey, it's time to move on now. It's time for you to get back to work. But he's, this is a different man. Can you hear it? He's had that time. There's such value in time of refreshing and retreat with the Lord, especially when we've been overwhelmed. I spent the week being epically overwhelmed. <laughs> I thought, it's, of course, why wouldn't I be overwhelmed when I'm getting ready to teach on something overwhelming? And I found myself in the car this week with these words, a words of a worship song that come into my head whenever I am overwhelmed, and it's such a beautiful gift from God. And it, they go like this, God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. I love that that comes into my heart and mind when I'm feeling overwhelmed because then the verse goes into God being our strength and our shield and our power. David was a mighty warrior who had the armor of God on and the physical armor of, of war on, and yet he was a man who could write and pen words of complaint to the Lord and praise and worship of the Lord. So we can learn so much from him. I pray that today you get inspired to dive deeper into God's word and see what else you can glean from his passages. I pray that you hear how much you are so loved by God. He is with you and he is for you and you can rely on him. Let me pray and then Lucy's actually going to come up and lead us in that worship song. So if you're feeling overwhelmed today, I'd invite you to just sit and maybe close your eyes and, and surrender that to God. Uh, we would love to pray with you. Um, you're welcome to stand and worship. Sometimes we're in a season of epic and utter joy because we've overcome an overwhelming situation, and you're welcome to do that as well. So let me pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the life and story of David, a man after your own heart, who we don't just hear the good and victorious stories about God, but we hear the struggles that he had that we can relate to on such a personal level. And God, I just pray for every person here who might be feeling overwhelmed today, God, that you would draw them and lean them closer to you, that they would find moments of retreat, God, that they can surrender this to you and be strengthened by you. And God, I just praise you and love you for being the God who is good, who loves us, who is with us and for us, no matter what space we're in in life. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.
give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. to do 